Hey guys, it's Rosie. Just before we start, I do want to have a little bit of a content warning. Uh, in addition to addiction, uh, which is the main topic of the episode, we do talk about eating disorders and mental illness. Uh, so please listen at your own discretion. Um, also, this is a very long episode because, frankly, listening to it, I just couldn't find that much that I wanted to cut. Uh, the dark stuff can get pretty dark, but then there's really some light stuff that is really fun and funny, and um, and it's just lovely to hear Hope and Faith talking about this five years after the fact um, and to see how their relationship has changed um, and to... Uh, to see sort of um, maybe a light at the end of the tunnel for anyone who's going through that. So I really didn't feel like I could cut very much of it. I think that all of it is valid. So have a listen to our interview with Faith. Okay, welcome to episode eight of A Vague Knowledge of Everything. And uh, today we are going to be talking about addiction and we have a special guest with us. Uh, so uh, I'll start. I'm, I'm Rosie, as always. I'm Hope, as always. And I'm Faith, as right now. <laughs> so there. Uh, Faith is my big sister um, and she is in recovery and she has very graciously come on to talk about her recovery journey with us. Well, cause I offered because yes. I said, I want to, yes. uh, cause very I love good. talking about myself. Love it. <laughs> Number one favorite. Absolutely. So uh, thank you for entertaining this vanity <laughs> project. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, it's it really fits in with the rest of our topics as far as like all of the, the stuff we want to learn about, because it's things that are familiar, you know, things we we encounter in everyday life and that a lot of people would have heard of, but people might want to learn more. It's so. an educational vanity project, so it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. That's what this whole podcast is. <laughs> um. So I'm just going to let you go into your story, but to start off, can you define for yourself real quick and for the listeners what's the difference between addict and alcoholic because I've heard you call yourself both sure so I identify as both but I think that the overarching uh, definition is addict and then alcoholic falls underneath that because you can get addicted to uh, whatever if you have an addictive personality which I, I think that I do um, I, whenever I went into recovery, I knew that I had, um, a multifold sort of addiction. I knew that I had an addiction to alcohol because I did. Um, I had an addiction to weed fun. And I, I don't think that's something that's really talked about very much because people say you can't get addicted to it. And I, I really tried my best and my hardest to prove them wrong because as Hope will tell you, I was, um, uh, awful. I, I acted like an addict around uh, pot. Um, men were one of my addictions. And I mean, nicotine, uh, the least destructive uh, externally, the most destructive internally um, for myself. Uh, so that's I'm an, uh, I'm an addict, I find things to get addicted to. Um, uh, but I primarily identify as an alcoholic in terms of 
things that were messing up my life that I couldn't seem to rectify. So is that a satisfactory answer? Is that what you were looking for kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. And I was assuming that like generally everybody defines it the same, but there's, you know, nuances in everybody's definition of their own addiction identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that lines up pretty well with what I've heard. Um, do you want to tell us about your story? Do you just want to jump right into it? Sure. Sure. I can do I that. I was born in May of 91. <laughs> There's a, uh, you can find different, um, they're called leads. And uh, one lead, it's people in recovery coming up and telling their story. And one, this lead I listen to constantly, it's gotten me through quarantine, is this woman, she says, I was born at a very early age. And I think that's very funny. <laughs> Anywho, I was born at a very early age. Just kidding. Um in line with your astrology episode, I'm a Taurus. I have uh, a May 9th birthday. Hope surrounds herself with Taurians. That is her mistake. That is her fault. She should know better by now because we are very stubborn. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is interesting because Hope and I uh, are 16 months apart. I know Hope better than I know probably anybody else and she for me. And um, that means that we can annoy each other, but that also means that we know how to make the other one be there for the other one kind of thing. So going through this, whenever I got sober, I was 24, hope was 22. And I, I put hope through, I put hope through the fucking ringer. I hope it's okay to swear. Cause I just did. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's totally fine. I, all of these episodes are marked as explicit content. <laughs> no, we're going to swear. And we did that before we even started recording. Like we were like, yeah, yeah no, we're not like, gonna. it's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to It's fine. I, uh, I really, um, the last five years of my recovery have been making it up to my family, but especially to hope because I, uh, and I'm probably going to cry. It's fine. But I, um, the amount that I relied on her and lean on her, I I think it's good for us to talk about that for anyone who's on my side, anyone who's on hope side right now, because millennial recovery is different than, it's been in the past and it's going to keep looking different for Gen Z and beyond. And I think that is a good thing. I don't think that's a bad thing. Absolutely. So, I mean, we, we, I just, sorry, just to interject, but yeah, we've been talking about, uh, we talk about mental health a lot in these podcasts, but we were talking about how Gen Z seems to be like even more comfortable asking for help they need and saying like, I have a thing that's wrong and I want to fix this. And, you know, like, so it generally seems like the younger generations are very into mental health and addiction is a big part of that. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, Getting sober at 24 is not really, um, I think it's becoming more common, but somebody said to me, uh, in my program, um, things have to be really bad if you got sober at 24. And he was right, even though I was definitely butthurt at the time when he said that. He is 100% right. Um, so <clears throat> like I was talking about earlier, uh, I uh, primarily identify as an alcoholic. I attend a 12-step program. I got sober uh, not because I went to rehab, but because I went to uh, Western Psych here in Pittsburgh um, for an intensive outpatient therapy program because I'm bipolar, uh, and there's a higher propensity for, um, people with mental health, I think in general, but, uh, particularly bipolarity to seek, um, outside, uh, help, uh, assistance and substances so that to quiet the things going on, um, in my brain. Um, 
Mm-hmm. But I did that five years ago. And I've been sober since, thanks to my 12-step program. So, Yay! <laughs> so I am getting a little sweaty over here. <laughs> like, are you getting actually sweaty or your eyes getting sweaty? I'm, like, getting nervous. Well, but I'm okay. I'm, off. <laughs> I'm not taking my sweater off. Keeping this Mr. Rogers sweater on. It's fine. <laughs> this is not going to be listenable for anybody <laughs> Oh my god. No, no, it'll be okay. I, I, I think that this just illustrates that it can be I well, okay. I, I, I think I was gonna say it illustrates it can be very difficult to talk about, which is absolutely true. And and then I would say even like especially to people who aren't necessarily a part of the people you normally share with, because I think a lot of the reason that the the 12 step programs and things like that really work is because of the community that you find. And so it's not the same talking here as it is talking in an AA meeting because everyone else isn't in the same boat. So we don't know who we're talking to necessarily. Um, I actually did find out that 60% of our listeners are male, which I thought was really weird. What? Podcasts with two women. But anyway, so yeah, so we don't know who we're talking to. So I think it's completely reasonable to be and- nervous about it because it's not the same kind of space. But. And not only that, but like you and I don't usually have the addiction conversation with listeners and like with Rosie here too. So like we're, I, I mean, like I don't have a lot of secrets. There's nothing I'm like not open to talking about, but like you and I have never had an audience in like dispelling this like very emotional journey that we went on. So that's probably well, why you're a little sweaty here. <laughs> why, why don't, um, why don't we just take like a little, we'll, we'll take a, a little um, sort of side journey here. And I can talk a little bit about the things that I've heard growing up and it, maybe it might make you a little more comfortable. No, I'm, I'm totally good. <laughs> I get sweaty like okay. frequently. So it's just, I am good. I'm going to Brene Brown through this situation. I'm okay. going to power through and everything's fine and no one needs, I'm good. Promise, <laughs> okay. promise. Listen, go I, ahead. I am sweaty every single time we record this. So don't even worry about it. That, I think that's what it is. I think that's what it is. It's my first time doing this and I'm yeah. like, sweat's happening. Yeah. It's a nerve wracking thing. It definitely is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just for our listeners edification, because I think I, I did say this just before we recorded, but yeah, my, my dad, uh, he passed away a couple of years ago, but he was a recovering addict. Um, I believe that his drug of choice was morphine, if I remember correctly. Um, but he uh, like also had problems with alcohol and like, you know, just just basically any drug. He was he was pretty much down for it. Um, and so when I was in uh, so he got clean and sober before he met my mom and um, and they actually met um, in AA. Um, so, (laughs) so there's that. And then my, um, then my dad went to, uh, college when I was in, I think preschool and, uh, he became a chemical dependency counselor. Um, so I've been to so many AA meetings and so many NA meetings and so many conventions. And Mm -hmm. I feel like I've heard so many stories. So this is very familiar to me. Mm -hmm. It's just a weird doing it over zoom, but yeah. Mm -hmm. So Anyway, but yeah, if you would like to continue, go ahead. Sure. Uh, so I just wanted to, I guess, say the, those things that uh, my addiction is, uh, I guess, multifold. It's not just alcohol. Because uh, like in your dad's case, it's they tend to pile up on each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also wanted to say that my story also comes from a mental health uh, place, whereas it's not going to be the same for everybody. I also uh, want to just check my privilege kind of thing in terms of saying middle class, white woman, uh, neither of me or Hope, me and Hope's parents um, are addicts, um, though we do have addiction that runs in our family. Yeah. Um, 
They're also not divorced, so you they're came also, a very close, cohesive home. That's correct. They uh, love each other very much. Um, yeah. So, uh, I, in terms of nature versus nurture, in terms of um, traumatic things that happened to me, I, uh, I had a very pleasant childhood with hope uh, and grace. Even though we beat the crap out of each other every <laughs> second we got constantly. Faith? Faith always said that we had such a normal childhood that we had to make it weird for ourselves. And that's why we turned out this way, which I think is <laughs> accurate. We had no, we had no trauma <laughs> with which to, so we just had to figure it out. Like, <laughs> okay, let's, let's weird this up. So we did. Um, so that being said, uh, I should, I, um, I still became an alcoholic despite yeah. all that. And, and that flies in the face of the assumptions people have that there mm -hmm. has to be something. They're like, right. oh, I'm safe from it because I haven't experienced that. Right. Like that's, that's not the case. Right. Right. So nothing. And I also want to uh, also say I'm, I'm not a gay or trans or lesbian member of society, which is also different. It's also um, finding those spaces, particularly in the uh, recovery uh, community in Pittsburgh, which has kept me sober for five years. I don't even, I'm not sure if it's always a welcoming. I like to think it's a welcoming space for all creeds and all people. Um, but there's a lot of people that look like me in those rooms. And that's, it's, um, I know that we have work to do. And uh, so that just in terms of who I am, where I'm coming from, um, and why I realized how I realized that I'm an addict. That's, that's where I am mm -hmm. and where I'm coming from. So, um, uh, before I started drinking, my first time getting drunk was at 16. The obsession of getting out of my own head was already, that seed was planted because I was a person that didn't necessarily fit, feel like I fit in, um, anywhere. I felt, uh, you know, just kind of out of the realm of, popular cool uh, whatever doesn't matter high school is hard for everybody as it turns out we also went to an extremely small school like i think you graduated with like what 109 and i was like 19 and grace was like people. 98 yeah yeah so it was really really small we all went to kindergarten through 12th grade together so like everybody knew everybody's shit already <laughs> yeah well okay yeah, that's a fun, fun slash not fun position to be in. <laughs> yeah, so I guess the thing about the small schools, those cliques are really decided very definitively, very early. Um, I, uh, I, I was obsessed with the thought of like, what would it be like to drink? And you know, seeing hope and grace and um, come after me, they didn't. I don't think they had that same sort of fixation or thought process mm -hmm. of I need to find somebody's got to give me some booze around here. I'll find it. Um, so I went to a party. Uh, I got drunk on Kahlua, which is disgusting. As a 16-year-old girl, drinking Kahlua, gross. Um, and we didn't get caught uh, because the mom's, who was, you know, was her house, she smelled our breath and she said, you guys smell like vodka when she had been drinking vodka. So got out of that one. <laughs> Pretty good. Um and I was 16, so I didn't have a hangover. So that was uh, mm -hmm. very nice. Um, and I didn't get caught. And I, I wanted that feel after being a good kid for all my life, I wanted that feeling of like doing something that was bad or doing something that was um, not in line with how everyone saw me of like this, you know, good kid, mm -hmm. like showed up, 
responsible, so on and so forth. Uh, so of course, the second time drinking, once again, Kahlua, people need to stop giving me Kahlua. That's dumb. Don't do that anymore. I'm going to drink it. Um, I got caught and uh, my dad, our dad had to come pick me up and I screamed in his ear for the full 30 minutes. It was on the other side of the school district kind of thing. Full 30 minutes, 16 year old drunk girl screaming. Well, you were, you were scream crying, right? It wasn't just I was like, doing both. I was, I was yeah. very upset. And dad was not pleased. <laughs> he was not happy. He was gag scooped and pooped about it. He did not like it at all. <laughs> Our dad is like the most chill dude. But like if you, yeah. first off, when he's sleepy, he's sleepy dad. So like not his best. And then like getting that phone call, he was just like, okay, we just need to get home. We're going to talk about this tomorrow. Please shut up. <laughs> yeah, just, I got to get through this. <laughs> yeah, I got to get through you crying well, in my we, ear as loud as possible. We were always told before it was like even a conversation about drinking. Mom and dad were always like, I don't care where you are. I don't care who you with. I don't care what state you're in. You call us and we will come get you. Like no questions asked. We will come get you. So faith. And, and I like, think that's a very good thing. Mm-hmm. She, I, and I, she was I'm really glad you had the wherewithal to be like, I need dad to come get me right now. Even though, oh, well, no, oh no, 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 no. You misunderstand, man. That's not what happened. The wherewithal. <laughs> the, the mom who lived in the house called dad and said, you need to get this girl out of here. She's drunk <laughs> as hell. Okay. Well, <laughs> She's inappropriate. Yeah. No, that's not at all what happened Whoopsie whatsoever, poopsie. even a little bit. It would have been very different if I called dad and was like, could you come get me, please? I'm a little drunk on Kahlua. Thanks. No, that's not what happened. I got in big trouble. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. But nobody yeah. told me what was going on. I was like, Faith's acting weird and she's napping all day and everybody's mad. I don't know what's going on. I was also very clueless <laughs> most of high school. So, yeah. Like, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, so that happened. I got super grounded, not just regular grounded, super grounded. And uh, yeah. I, uh, it didn't stop me <laughs> from like trying to find times and places uh, to drink. So, yeah, well, I mean, if you don't get caught the one time and you're like, well, I just got caught once. So, yeah, yeah I can it, see that. I got super caught. I got very caught. Um, yeah. I think whenever uh, the mom came downstairs, I was, I've never told anybody this. Uh, I was dancing and I was wearing um, a pair of like, uh, like khaki cargo pants from Old Navy. It was, you know, the mid aughts. It's fine. And mm-hmm. my uh, underwear, which was a thong underwear, were hiked up and I was doing a dance like this. And that's the first thing she saw when she came into her basement. She didn't even know <laughs> people were over. And that's what she saw. Great. So, we, we might have danced like that without alcohol. So I think my underwear would have at least been tucked in. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I think so. Hard telling not help. knowing. <laughs> yeah, it was yellow. It was yellow. I remember. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. so... Um, so I, I graduate, I, um, whenever I can find times and places to drink, I do. But now whenever I'm drinking, I'm blacking out. Whenever I go to college, I like the first weekend there, I blacked out and also uh, tried weed for the first time. And it's, it made me like, goofy, like, dumb. Um, like, I'm not a fun high person to be around. And I have a window of about 30 minutes where I'm a cool drunk person to be around. But the rest of it is like, I'm trying to get drunk, so don't talk to me. And after that's like, I am not, my eyes, like, I'm not there anymore. I'm gone. Mm-hmm. I'm not there anymore. And I'm going to do 
stuff that's going to make people upset. And Hope <laughs> can attest to that many times. Um, so, I had to bring out uh, the mom finger, right? And be like, we are not doing this right now. And I was like, why am I Sandy Collins right now? How is this happening? Yeah, yeah I love to steal stuff. Um, so, okay, so I, I drank through college. Um, I had a, a period of like six months of sobriety because I was on Accutane. <laughs> So not only was I drinking all the time, I also had bad acne. So that's cool. Um, <laughs> but I, during that six months, I lost weight. Like I could remember who I slept with when. That's good. Um, I could remember the things that I did. And uh, I didn't regret doing things or people. Um, and that was nice. But it didn't occur to me to like connect the dots of like, you seem happy doing this. You, you seem better off. You seem like you can handle your self and your life better and your life is unmanageable when you drink so maybe you shouldn't drink Mm -hmm. anymore um but that didn't that connection never happened and the night after i stopped accutane i got blackout drunk and i slept with somebody that i regretted and i had to sit next to him in econ class it was really bad it was really really bad uh there's gonna be a lot more of that going um uh okay so yeah like another example I, I went to England for six months uh during that time I gained 50 pounds because I not only had an eating disorder before I left then I went to England and I got drunk constantly blacked out constantly and it's one thing if you get drunk um and you're in Pittsburgh and you know where you are and you go home by yourself which I love to do um super unsafe uh, it's another thing if you get blackout drunk in Dublin and you're lost and you don't know where you are because that did happen to me as well. And I must have a guardian angel because, or something I should be dead. The, the theme of this, I should be dead. I am not. And I, I, I don't know why, but I need to be of service and be a good person. Um, and talk to people about what happened to me because I owe it to the universe, to a God of my understanding, whatever term you want to use for it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I am, I put myself in a lot of very risky situations uh, consistently and repeatedly. So, um, so yeah, I, uh, uh, my pattern throughout college was get blackout drunk because I'm a lightweight despite all this, uh, get blackout drunk on either pink Franzia or whiskey, um, oh, which interesting. You think those that are being in between. Yeah, those are the two ends of one spectrum. Very different. Yeah, exactly. Usually, people aren't in, into both of those. Yeah, and you like you like just straight whiskey, right? Like you liked it on the rocks. Uh, no ice, because that would water it down. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Right. Not, not well, not right. That's, that's alcoholic speak right there. That's what that is. I also liked uh, 99 berries for a little bit. Um, And that's disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yeah. Uh, Whenever I would be out with people, I would shame them into drinking with me. Um, I would emasculate men into drinking with me uh, so that I wouldn't be the only drunk person, basically. I wouldn't be the only one that embarrassed themselves. Like uh, if there was a rare night where one of my friends in college had gotten more drunk than I did, I would take care of them to be like, see, so now you owe me for next time. When in fact I owed them for the last six mm-hmm. times 
the last times that I was throwing up or doing something outrageous or they pulled me out of a dangerous situation. But that's how an alcoholic thinks. It's like, I don't remember that. It didn't happen. So, you know, you get one night maybe like in college where you're like, man, that was bad. I threw up everywhere. It was gross. I shouldn't have done that. So on and so forth. That happened for me. Like, I don't remember my 21st birthday at all. I mean, I'm still talking like 10 p.m. to the full next day. I had to do a presentation on teen pregnancy and I did it drunk. I was, I might have had alcohol poisoning. Like, I was so, and not in a fun way. Not in mm-hmm. a way that's like, wow, you're cool to be around. No, no, no. I wasn't there. I was not I, there. Can I talk about my memories of the few times you and I like went out together, especially when we went to the South Side for St. Patrick's Day? You can, because I don't really remember them, and I figured that they were going to come up. This is not me at my best. Please. <laughs> so I so I turned 21, like, two years after Faith, so it was very exciting. And, like, she had been up to visit me at college, and, like, we had gone out together, and it was a lot of fun. But this was, like, one of the times where I was like, I don't know if I want to do this with you anymore, because this is not fun for me. And so what happened was we went out for the South Side. You stole me of ship bookend that I still have in my apartment. Cause I don't like that you stole it, but it is a really nice bookend. I don't regret that. I don't regret that. That's a really cool book. It's really nice. I'm mad. I don't have two. (laughs) So there was that, that was the night where we were out and you like tried to get me to go back home to someone else's apartment. And I was like, no, like we're supposed to be out here together. And then you, that was the year I think that you had yelled at your friend for peeing in the street and then you peed in the street. And that's when I brought out the mom finger. I was like, we are not doing this right now. Are you serious? And like, I was going to school in like middle of nowhere, face going to school in the city. So it's like very different drinking experience. Yeah. I'm like, there's people who are like adults looking at us right now. I don't like this. And then well, it's um, very different cops too. The yeah. Please don't mess with that. So then we went to Primanti's. And you like housed a whole sandwich very quickly. And then I like drove home because I was, I had stopped drinking because I was like, well, I'm not going to be drunk right now because I can't. And then your friend sent me a picture of like you in like these little pajamas with hearts on them and your whole butt was out. And it's a really funny picture, but you can tell that they are taking care of you. And then Mm -hmm. another time, this is really funny. It's really bad, but it's really funny. Faith came up to visit me at school and we were at this party and this is a very small school where everybody knows each other. So like people knew who I was and they were just like, this is obviously her twin sister because we look, we have the same face and yeah, they look a lot alike guys. (laughs) And then, so we go to this party and there's this ginger guy sitting there and he's got a green Argyle sweater on and Faith is like, you look like a leprechaun. And the guy's (laughs) like, yeah, real funny. She's like, no, I'm serious. Like, she just like wouldn't let it go. She's like, you look like a leprechaun. Like you're a ginger wearing an Argyle sweater. That's not my fault. And he's like, okay, that's real fucking funny. And like started getting like, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. If you don't leave me alone. She's like, eh, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. And like, it was just being obnoxious. But it's so funny, but it's not funny, but it is funny. Um, and then there was the other time where you came up and like, we got in a fight in the Delt house basement. And then you kissed one of my friends while you were dating somebody. And I was like, Hmm. I don't know how I feel about this anymore. I don't know if this is fun for me anymore. Um, so that was like the last time where I was like, yeah, I'm not going out with you again. So, but it was looking back, it's funny and not funny at the same time. So. 
it's probably easier to laugh at now than it was six or seven years ago, <laughs> I would think. Well, the leprechaun you know? story always makes me laugh because that just yeah. sounds like I also remember doing that. That's different because yeah. I think if you're at a point where you're drunk enough, but like you remember doing it like that's that's a funny you can share that story. Most of my uh, drinking stories are not funny to share. Nobody wants to hear them and they usually end badly. And the first time that like I had an experience drinking with Faith, I was the very drunk one because it was like my fall break my freshman year and we made Ugh. orange soda and the whipped pinnacle drinks. It tastes like a cream skull. And I still can't talk about it. Cause I threw up so much I, that night and I was so just, obnoxious. <laughs> I just almost threw up just now. I have a mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Since this is not, um, this is not a video platform. I just feel the need to let everyone know that hope just like she, her head was kind of like going down as she was talking. And I was like, is she looking for a trash can? She looks like she's about to puke. <laughs> I can't see it in a grocery store without being like, that's gross. You, you requested that. I knew it was gross at the time. I have a drinking <laughs> problem and I wouldn't drink that. I want you to do the math on that. That's and, then, and then one of your friends gave me moonshine and I was just, and then we went to a pit game the next day and I'm sitting there in the stands like, I don't feel good. And dad's like, what's going on? Are you hungover? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, oh, hon, did you throw up? And I was like, yeah, and he was like, "Oh, hon, what are you doing?" Sorry, <laughs> Dad. <laughs> but yeah, but that was my first experience where I was like the messy one. So it was like, it didn't occur to me that you could be the messy one, you know. Well, also the structure of our relationship in terms of me being the older sister, like mm-hmm. that's appropriate. Like I should be the one that's taking care of you. But that happened one time. And I think it happened that one time because I want to, I, I don't think that my drinking was as bad as it became. Um, I also was in my eating disorder. So, you know, calories. So, but my need for control, like it just spans all over the place. And, and when you're talking about an eating disorder, you're talking about um, uh, a binge eating disorder. No, I'm like talking just- about, thank you for clarifying. I will. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I would, Overexercise and I would restrict calories uh, very significantly. So okay, so it was so it was on the other end, and that was okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I, I was wondering if it was like that you were like like eating a lot and drinking a lot, or if that was the other way around, and it looks like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. Um, I think because like, I don't know. You know, I I guess I can only be so fucked up at a time. <laughs> so I don't well, know and- the math. And and all the all this the stuff that I've heard about eating disorders, and I'm not an expert in it, of course, but uh, it seems like everyone talks about control being a part of it. Like you want to control things, and so like your use of the word unmanageable, which I recognize from twelve step lingo uh, that I've heard, is uh, I think that really correlates because you're going to try to control other things if you feel like you can't control your life and if you even have a hint of something Mm -hmm. that might be there you might push that aside and say no I'm going to control this because I think this is the problem yep so yeah yeah, I think those things definitely go hand in hand they do going along with that time I have a theory about other people that you can really tell where their brain's at and like where their mental state is at based on what their hair is doing like I had a friend in college who I knew if his hair looked a certain way I'm like you're not doing all right and Faith's hair at this time was the, she had a lot of hair journeys that she went on, like where she would cut her own hair, or like dye it purple or like whatever. And this was like, she had this ginormous, like curly, huge hair. 
and this tiny little shrunken body. And I was like, who is this crazy person in my house? Like, you look like a mad woman that whole summer. And then you, like, dyed the underneath pink, and you were doing all this stuff. And I was like, who is this person? I don't think you're okay. And then nobody like, liked that hair, but I love that hair. I would right. get that again today. Well, the thing is, I would like that hair too if it if I didn't associate it with when you were too skinny. Yeah, I understand. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And then you chopped it all off and it was still pink underneath. And then you went abroad. And then that's when you had there was like a where you had gained enough weight that you looked like yourself again. And then you had that like swoopy, like really I did. blonde hair. That picture of you and Molly, we both have scars on you're like this. You look yeah. so cute in that picture. I'm like, damn, that's a great haircut. And then, like, after that, it was just kind of like, okay, now we're going down the other <laughs> hole with this. Yeah. So. Yeah. Because uh, I didn't, um, whenever I uh, gained all that weight, I didn't buy new clothes. So that was a fun, interesting time for everyone that got to <laughs> okay. see me okay, dress myself. So this was your junior year, and then you started your senior year. And that's when you lived in the apartment in the basement that didn't have windows. And that was, I, I had one window. It wasn't a good enough window. One little window. It was, it was a like, window to a garage. It was good. And that was, your senior year was not good. No, 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 it wasn't. No, no, no. I no, remember no. that. Because that's whenever, if it was your senior year, it was my sophomore year. So that's mm-hmm. whenever you started calling me all the time. And I would keep my phone on in like full volume in case you called me like scream crying in the middle of the night. Um. And I still have issues with like turning my phone on. Do not disturb just from that. Even though you haven't called me scream crying in years and years, I'm still like, I don't know if I'm I'm, like, okay to turn my phone off like that. So that's whenever, so like things were like not great, but we could kind of attribute it to like, Oh, faith in college. But then this started to be like, Mm -hmm. okay, this is like really bad. So that's whenever things started to take like a worse turn for me in your um, addiction. No, they did because that's whenever uh, my bipolar disorder started showing up. Yeah. So uh, hope is right. My senior year was not fun for anybody. Um, uh, and like hope is talking about the ripple effects of my addiction still are uh, affecting my family five years later. So it's um. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, I graduated college in 2013. I'm incredibly depressed. I'm sure that the uh, window to the garage is not helping because I'm not getting a whole lot of sunlight. <laughs> but I'm also like, um, I'm just doing sneaky stuff kind of all over the place, like letting suitors come in through the back door kind of thing. Um, I'm trying to get on the right uh, antidepressant, but, you know, spoiler alert, none of them are working. Um uh, I'm suicidal by the time I graduate. Um, I have to move back home and hope was there for that. And I put her through that. It was in the, we moved you back home at two in the morning. It was not a plan to move home. It was like, we had a moment where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to take the reins now. We're, we're going to go get your stuff and move you back home. Cause Faith only went to school like 10 miles away from mm-hmm. our house. So it was pretty easy. Okay, to yeah. so We're getting in the car. I'm going to go get your stuff and you're going to live here now again. And I'm not letting you have a say in this anymore. So, and then the next week I went sailing for the first time. Like I went sailing as a trainee and I turned my phone off and I forgot that my home button wasn't working. So I couldn't turn my phone back on. So I couldn't call home and be like, is faith still there? Um, so that was a little bit weird. Um, mm-hmm. 
but yeah, then you were home, then you started the dog walking job, I think. I did. Uh, things were getting better um, after that. But my uh, addiction um, to men, I guess, uh, really started showing up because I would invite uh, Tinder dates back to my uh, to my clients' uh, houses. <laughs> and uh, I, I got fired. I huh? thought you were about to say our parents' house. And I was like, what? Like, I thought that was, <laughs> I was learning new information. I knew that already. Okay. Yeah. That was Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, back to my clients' houses. And I got fired. I got fired from uh, being a dog walker. I was a professional dog walker. I got fired from it. So that was good. And uh, I was, I kept getting up later. I kept um, being like, nah, it's not that big of a deal. Like I don't need to be there on time, quote unquote. So I wasn't. And uh, that meant that like dogs would get into stuff. They would break stuff open. It didn't occur to me again, this pattern of like, well, I'm not going to get up earlier, clearly, because, you know, I want to stay up and I want to drink or I want to go be on a first date with somebody and uh, go drink whiskey thing. I did pretty frequently. Um, didn't occur to me. So I, uh, I got fired from that job. I worked at another dog walking place. That was not good. Um, I started working for a dog walking client that was even worse. And then I was just unemployed for about three months before I got a job with AmeriCorps. And uh, during this time, I got pneumonia for the first time from smoking and being asthmatic. And, uh, again, my whole family had to, you know, like take me to the ER, like be there for me, help me out. It's not occurring to me. Like if you just quit smoking, you wouldn't have pneumonia. Wait. And it's crazy. Cause once you do that, you don't get it. Science. What? Was that the trip where dad had just taken his sleeping meds and yes. you were all messed up. And I was the irresponsible one as like a 19 year old who had never had responsibility before. I still remember the nurse's name like the male nurse that kept coming in and talking to us. But yeah. And I kept flirting with him in front of dad because I was a little goofy. Well, dad um, was asleep. So it's okay. It's fine. So it didn't uh, land anywhere. And also uh, I was dating somebody else, but other than that, it's good yeah. to go. Yeah. So, but that was the first time where I was like, I, I don't know if I should be the person in charge here, but I think I'm handling it pretty well. So <laughs> like I surprisingly pulled all of this, like smart asking questions out of my butt. And I was like, who am I? Okay. But anyway, so yeah, there was lots of hospital trips. I think that was when also you were somewhere and you were like, I don't know where I am. I need you to come get me. And I had to like use find my iPhone and dad and I had to come get you. And you were in like a Wendy's parking lot in Oakland or something. Oh no, no. That was, um, I uh, got a migraine because I smoked uh, cigarettes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you see a pattern of like not really mm -hmm. doing the math of like if you just didn't do this, it really wouldn't be so bad and you wouldn't have to call people from Wendy's parking lots. <laughs> like just think about that. OK. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yep. That's that's what happened. I yeah. had a migraine. Uh, so okay. it's hard for an addicted brain to do that math, though. That's true. That no. is true. I'm going to get to the recovery part because I don't <laughs> want to keep talking about what a fucking terrible person I was when I was drinking because <laughs> I was a liar. I was a cheat. I was a whore. I was a, all these things, all these things. And it just gets wrapped up into high in faith. I'm an alcoholic. So, and, and I just like to um, interject here that, uh, that I do think there's a lot out there about 
like, th- that people can find about this is all, all the things that I did, et cetera. There's a lot less, I think, in terms of information about like, what is treatment like, yes. you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So like, we've talked about the normal things you would talk about, but yeah, we can get more into the recovery aspect and feel free to uh, dive as deep as you want and talk about things maybe people wouldn't know. Sure. Sure. Mm-hmm. So uh, where this is the year before I get sober. I do AmeriCorps. I, I'm now drinking and smoking weed a lot. I'm doing a lot of drunk driving, um, that kind of stuff. I moved into a house without running water. Um, that was in, you know, my family's name, I guess. Um, my dad and I aren't talking. My dad threatens to move out of our parents' house because he doesn't want to be around me because I am coming home, as my mom said, offensively high. Like things are getting really bad. Mm-hmm. And like I and- said, our little sister's still in high school. So our mom is like, you are not doing this like, yeah, yeah. while she's doing this. So yeah. And I don't think Grace had any idea what was going on, but that's due. That's credit to my mom. Um, <clears throat> so I, uh, I had shaved my head the whole way around and I had a little tuft on top and I would dip dye it different colors. I have a really big head, really bumpy head <laughs> and it looked really bad. <laughs> So and it was a, call, a cry for help. <laughs> Truly, it was. It was. I'm telling you, hair is the first cry for help. <laughs> so it looked you know, really good when you first got it done, and then you could not keep up with it after. No, ma'am, I could not. That is correct. No, I could not. So, um, I made a decision to drive myself to Western Psych after I'd uh, spent 48 hours crying, and I didn't know why. I got checked in. Uh, They said, do you want to do, first off, I didn't come up with Western Psych by myself. It had been suggested to me by my therapist, by my psychiatrist, by multiple people. I have notes like in my phone that said IOP question mark that were like from, I don't know, six months before I went, but I wasn't, I guess, ready. I wasn't ready yet. So um, whenever I'm being assessed, they say, would you... uh, because I was there voluntarily, I didn't have to go into inpatient. They wanted me to, but I didn't have to. And I said, no. Um, and I said, you know, my parents would blame themselves if I went into inpatient, which as it turns out, they didn't blame themselves after a certain point at all. They knew whose fault it was. So good to know. Uh, humbling. Uh, so uh, I the, the other option was IOP, which was, I think, 12 hours of therapy for a week. And um, I was able to make it work with AmeriCorps, which was good. Um, I got on lithium, which was uh, kind of the gold standard of uh, uh, people who are bipolar. And um, it's I, it started working, but they couldn't tell because I wouldn't stop drinking. I wouldn't stop smoking weed. I decided on a whim to just try not drinking just to, cause it has to be my idea. Like I need to come up with this by myself. Yeah. Uh, so I had, <laughs> I didn't realize how much I was drinking either. Cause I didn't have just one. I like things in threes. I'm one of three. You know, my birthday's on the ninth. That's a three. I like things in threes. So I, uh, I had three glasses of whiskey and I haven't had a drink since. So that's good. That was May of 2015. But I didn't stop smoking weed until June 20th, 2015, which is my uh, sobriety date. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if we need to get into the groundhog story. I don't know if we have time you for that. You cannot tell this story without the groundhog. You have to tell this story. I also want to say right now, and I should have said this with the, uh, the leprechaun story. I'm not prejudiced against redheaded people. I love them dearly. 
married one and you adopted a married one. I know that dog. doesn't count. I know that doesn't count. I can't be like, some of my best friends are redheads. That's not right. <laughs> I just want to say, I want to say, I'm sorry. I want to say, I'm sorry to the redheaded community. My bad. <laughs> I always pass an apology. You can wear green. My bad. Like an apology to the redheaded community. <laughs> I won't, I won't make that mistake again. All right. Although Hope and Grace have both said that I look like Kim Possible because I have these green pants and a black shirt. And I did look. Okay, and then I got mad. It's not that you look like Kim Possible. It's that whenever you have an outfit you like, you wear it every single day. So it wasn't I every single I time do. I saw you, you had the Kim Possible outfit on. That's I could have not seen it. But your yeah, hair looked great. I knew you were okay because your hair looked really good. That's so, Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. It, was a, it was an okay Kim Possible. It wasn't the helmet head purple almost bangs haircut you had your senior year. Oh, yeah. See, I think I'm doing good hair-wise, and then you tell me stuff, and I'm like, dang, rough. Okay, though. All right, Seth. <laughs> My bad. Um, all right, so uh, let's – okay. It's June 23rd, 2015. My Sprite date is June 20th. It's the last time I put anything in me. In theory, I should really – say the 23rd is my sobriety date but you know here we are so what you're saying is nothing's been in you since i'm, I'm saying that i'm a liar <laughs> I'm <just> saying. <laughs> uh okay so <laughs> i'm going to see third eye blind because i love third eye blind and because they don't have many good years left and if you've seen them touring recently you can see where i'm coming from i don't think anyone's seen them recently only they me. played the Republican National Convention, not this election, but the last one. Why did you tell me that? You're breaking my no. heart. <laughs> no, 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 but it's good. It's a good story. It's good, though, Um, because they did that. But they refused to play any of their major hits, so they were playing all their B-tracks, basically. So, like, anyone who knew with who the band was didn't get to hear their favorite songs. So, oh, so they basically what? trolled the Republican convention, which is kind of cool. I I would probably know the B-Tracks, but I wouldn't be at the Republican National Convention. <laughs> True. Unless they were singing Jumper to, like, Mitch McConnell. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Anywho. So I'm going to see Third Eye Blind. I'm with this guy at the time. We're going to call him asshole, just, to, just as a placeholder, because that's fine. <laughs> okay. And... Uh, we need to go get weed. Me and asshole start driving. I'm driving, by the way, because he doesn't drive. Good, good pick. Um, I'm on a road I don't know, and a groundhog comes out. Slam on my brakes. The groundhog runs back, and then this van behind me, once I start going again, starts uh, kind of tailing me, and he's matching where I'm going, kind of like Fast and the Furious. So I start matching him in my 1999 Honda CRV. Because it's car. 2015. Great, Great car. car. Excellent. I get to the stop sign. Stop. Because, you know, the law. And uh, he gets out. Van guy gets out. And he says, why didn't you stop back there? I hit you. And then before I could say, no, you, you didn't. Because I have a hitch on the back of my uh, CRV. So I would be dragging your fender this whole time. Before I could say that he saw the bowl on asshole's lap. Because asshole is taking res hits. And for those of you that don't know, res hits mm -hmm. are whenever you have a, a glass uh, pipe, also known as a bowl, and you're trying to get the last little bit of the sticky icky out, you take res hits. Res hits are very in kind of intense high for about 10 minutes. They taste like ass, and they're disgusting. I, I knew we were going to get weed. Why would I take a res hit? That's crazy. 
That's just me. That's just me. That's me hating on resets. It's fine. Anyway, I think I hate resets because of the story. Anyways, so I pull away from this guy who is now punching on my car. He is beating on my car. Uh, Van guy is. I uh, pull off to have a proper panic attack. Van guy finds us. Um, long story short, the cops get called and I, uh, I get a charge of a misdemeanor of possession of paraphernalia, which was my, my bull, mm-hmm. which was called Misty Elliott, AKA misdemeanor. In theory, I was really asking for it. <laughs> I was really into Misty Elliott. At the time. I'm still into Misty Elliott. That doesn't really count. So I'm upset. I'm upset because I know we're not going to go to the concert. I'm upset because we have to, I have to tell my parents, um, we're not going to be happy with this. And I have to call our lawyer who's also in recovery. Definitely not going to be happy about this. I'm going through all these feelings, going through all these thoughts. And the asshole says to me, well, we're still going to get weed. Right. And I'm like, yeah, sure. (laughs) Sure. That sounds good. So we're outside the dealer's house. And it was this like gorgeous, beautiful, sunny day. It's a June day in Pittsburgh. You know, it's a beautiful day. And I thought there's no reason for me to feel like this. There's no need for me to feel like this. I don't need to feel like this ever again. I, I'm ready. Like I'm done. And I haven't had weed since. Well, you said you got home and you were putting yourself in so much trouble that mom and dad didn't have to do any work. They're just like, okay, yeah, you get it. You're fine. <laughs> I was, uh, that was bad. That was bad. And, uh, so then we enter into the recovery and sobriety part of my story. Anyone who is in Mm -hmm. early recovery, I think that people don't always talk about, it's like getting your first bikini wax. Like nobody says your first time is the most painful because you would never go. Yeah. But, um, you know, if you're into bikini waxes, you know, then they're fine. Here's the thing. Early recovery sucks and nobody should ever tell anyone else. It's fine. You'll figure it out. It's great. It, it is difficult. It is not easy. You need somebody to get you through it. A 12-step program can work for that. A sponsor will work for that. That is what worked for me because I would do things like I got into a fight with asshole. So I threw a travel mug at his head and it was filled with hot coffee. And I missed because I have terrible aim. I, you don't want to be that person. You don't want to be that person. Did he deserve it? Sure he did. But you don't want to be that person. So I tried being what's called a dry drunk, which is you don't go to meetings. You don't have a sponsor. You don't do any sort of recovery like that, like in a structured uh, situation. And I thought after the three months that I I probably, I tried to be sober before by myself and it never worked. So maybe I should try a group setting, something that has proven uh, efficacy with many different kinds of people to work. So I did, I walked into a meeting, um, I would say probably like September, 2015 or so. And, uh, I sat down and I thought there was a lot of weight watchers signs around. And I thought that's mean that they're trying to, you know, kind of ploy on women in AA with weight watcher signs. Um, there were a lot of weight watcher signs because mm-hmm. it was a weight watchers meeting. So And I turned around and I said, is this where the drunks meet? And they said, no, it is not. (laughs) I said, can you tell me where the drunks meet? And they said, we do not know. Turns out they meet upstairs for anyone interested in that meeting. I feel like they would have known that. (laughs) I feel like you could have helped a girl out. Yeah. That's what I feel like. 
That's not women supporting women right there. That is not women. That's not women supporting. No, no, ma'am, it is not. No, no, no. no, What that is is stigma. Um, Because no one, oh, if I know that it's there, then that's going to say something about me. So I'm not going to say anything and I'm not going to tell you where the meeting is because, you know, does that imply something about me, which is ridiculous. I probably shouldn't have started out with, is this where the drunks meet? That's probably, there's probably like nice ways of saying that. Is this where the recovering? Well, you were also very newly sober, which makes you like yeah. very vulnerable. You were very <laughs> raw at that time because you were figuring out who you were as a person without alcohol. That's true. That's true. I've known so many alcoholics and addicts over the the course of like growing up and meeting so many and going to so many meetings, and like I could absolutely see like all of my dad's friends thinking that was hilarious. If someone walked in and said that, they'd be like, yes, it is. Yes. Yes. (laughs) When, if somebody walks into a meeting like that, I would be like, okay, they're in the right place. Also, I should probably talk to them because I'm probably going to end up sponsoring them. So that's fine. (laughs) It's okay. We'll, we'll talk later. Um, so, uh, I liked my first meeting. I thought, you know, I'm just going to check it, check it out. I'm just going to see. I didn't have a DUI. Um, I still live with my parents, but they were starting to talk to me again. You know, my relationship with hope and grace was getting better already because I was like, not, I was being myself all the time. I wasn't being that other drunk person that was awful, but I also was like trying, I was trying, I was still seeking therapy after Western psych. I was still taking lithium, but I had all these good things in place. Your hair so, was a lot better. Hair was, I was having really good hair. Some really excellent hair. Thank you for noticing. Um, so I, I thought if I want to stay on the straight and narrow, I should probably keep doing this. And I haven't uh, stopped. And I went to a meeting uh, last night. And um, it's one of the favorite parts, my favorite parts of my week. Hope has been to a meeting with me in terms of, because with social work, like, um, just being familiar with that. And uh, she got to hear my story and she was, <laughs> she was not sure why everyone was laughing at all the terrible things that I've done and have okay. been done to me. Okay, <laughs> Let me tell you what was going on. So I wouldn't be surprised if I, cause I don't know where I'm going to end up in social work. I'm trying to keep my options open cause it's very exciting and there's a lot of stuff I want to do. I wouldn't be mm-hmm. surprised if I worked with people who had been like caregiver people to addicts and alcoholics and that kind of stuff. Can you maybe not do that yeah. now, buddy? Okay. And then, so she had told me this story about how she had to speak at schools for her job. And she was like, I'm really afraid every time I open my mouth, I'm going to say, hi, my name is Faith and I'm an alcoholic. And I'm like, <laughs> I didn't know how to react to that. Like I had a lot of feelings about that. I was like, Oh, that I don't like that. That's like really bad. And I went to this meeting and she told that same story and everybody lost their shit. They thought it was the funniest thing they'd ever heard. And I was like, oh, that story's not for me. That's why I didn't get it. Like, that <laughs> yeah. story's not for me. Yeah. I so, mean, there's something about shared experience, I mm-hmm. think, that makes you laugh at that. Mm-hmm. And that's that community. Mm-hmm. Right. And it just made me realize it was like, Faith has a community without me. And that's probably a lot better than her having just me because there would be a lot of stuff. That I'd just be like, that's not good. You shouldn't do that. And then the, all the other addicts are like, yeah, that's funny. You're fine. <laughs> so, but it was definitely well, I, interesting going to that meeting. Yes. It was a good meeting. I think too, that for a long time, my community was just you and I was shutting everybody out and saying like, I can only trust, you know, this one person 
with all of my shit. And you can't do that for, I know I can't do that for any, every, ever again with anybody. Yeah. Well, I tell people that too, because I learned that because it was a matter of, I was doing it and I think I was doing a pretty good job, but I don't ever want to do that again because I don't know if I have that capacity anymore. Cause I was like 21, 22 and it was a matter of, do you want to keep your sister or not? So I was like, okay, of course I'm going to do everything that is required of me to do this. But being older, like if this had happened when we were older, I might've done the same thing, but I don't know. I really I hope you wouldn't have. I, I, it's not healthy to do it. I, I mean, that's crazy to me that, um, that I put you through that and you just stuck with it. Cause if I were in your shoes, I would have been like, you got to figure your shit out by yourself. But that is the alcoholic and Al-Anon side of things in terms of selfless versus selfish. Yeah. I just, uh, just one more perspective. I'd like, again, going back to my dad, cause he's the, the wealth of knowledge that I had. Uh, but the, he worked in prisons, uh, and he worked in a, Oh, it was, um, like sort of a high level youth, uh, I guess it would not juvie, but like many steps after yep. juvie yep. Um, where they can keep them till they're 21 mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, and so he worked in those places as a drug counselor. And, uh, and he said that he felt really bad for all of the uh, drug counselors out there who, uh, who don't have any experience with addiction because he said like the easiest way I could get anyone to listen to me is be like, well, no, I went to prison for this. Like, right. like I'm an addict. Like my, my wife can't give blood because I did needle drugs in the seventies, you know, like, like all this kind of stuff. So like, if you kind of like say like, no, look, like we're, we have a lot in common. I think that's the easiest place, the, the starting point. So that, those communities are so important because mm-hmm. of that. Because Hope can't possibly understand everything as much as you want to, Hope, I'm sure. But now it's it's interesting because now I'm part of this community of people who have taken care of addicts, which I didn't realize was going to be a thing. Like I thought this was like Faith got sober and I kept forgetting that she was sober and inviting her to uh, drinking events. And then I feel really bad. But um, I... (laughs) You could still invite people who don't drink to non to drinking events, and they can either not drink. I d- I'm not saying not that for when you, she's like you know a that. month or not when she's like months or yes. two sober. That was a little too soon. yes, <laughs> but well, well, yes, but also then it's sort of it's on the onus of the that person to you know call their sponsor and say like, is this maybe something I could go to or is it not? What do you think, et cetera? Make that decision for yourself if you can put yourself there and behave the way you want to behave. I was really glad that Faith found a community, but the way I have tended to deal with stuff that's like pretty traumatic is I'm like, okay, that's done. And I don't have to think about it anymore. And like, I don't ever have to think about it again. And that's not how you deal with trauma. So I, in in class the other night, I had somebody talk to me about like knowing somebody who was suicidal and being like that main person for them. And it was her daughter. And like, we were supposed to be talking about like this prompt that we were given and we just ended up like connecting and being like, there was stuff that like we were talking, but there's a lot of unspoken like feelings that her and I understood. So it's interesting mm-hmm. realizing more recently that Faith joined her own community, but I'm also part of a larger community that ha- I haven't really tapped into, but maybe I should. But again, then I'm like, but it's over. I don't yeah. have to like think about it anymore. So, but that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> well, there, there are whole, yeah, there are whole splinter groups uh, that have been created for that purpose. 
like there's like 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 Alateen, I think, is like for for teenagers whose uh, whose parents have uh, substance abuse issues. Like there's there's all these like different groups, and so like for anyone listening, if you if you know someone and you're not if you know anyone uh no if you know someone who's dealing with substance abuse issues you can definitely go find a community of people who can talk to you about how to talk to that person um so just wanted to put that out there that's that's very good i have suggested before because my community does so much for me that maybe al-anon might be an option for hope but i also my program tells me i can't control people anymore so then I just kind of suggest it. And then now I'm suggesting it in a recorded space. Yeah. So it's <laughs> the thing is, Hope, is that you continue to bring stuff up that I have whole ass completely forgotten about. Maybe because I was blacked out, but it's like, sometimes you say stuff in a way that it's like, it's still affecting you this much later because you're like trying to say, I don't need to deal with that anymore. Yeah. And I, I, I want to help you. I don't know how to help you. I don't even know if I'm the person to help you with some of this stuff. I, yeah, I think it's one of those things where I it's like your meeting. I have to decide when it's time to go. And I think it's coming soon. It's just not right now. You know what I mean? Like that thing that happened to us in our childhood that like we took 10 years to talk about before we could talk about it. Where all of a sudden I called you and I was like, hey, remember that thing that happened a while ago? And you're like, yeah. And I was like, that was kind of weird, right? And you're like, yeah. Have you not like thought about it since then? And I was like, no. So I wouldn't be surprised if like that, this is similar. I'm hoping it's a shorter timeline from like 10 years, but um, yeah, I think it's, I, th- I don't know. I think it's important to talk about how our relationship was different after you got sober in like the subsequent years and years after, because I think both of us had the assumption that now that you're sober, you're like a better and whole entire person now. And I think we both forgot that even a sober person has problems that non-sober people have in their relationships and stuff. Cause you did so much work to become yourself again, that it's hard to think about how you have to still do like the same maintenance that normal functioning humans have to do. I mean, true. And I, I kind of figured that we would have different narratives about this. Um, what I saw is that I wanted to come in like the prodigal son and be the big sister again, but you had taken over that role for so long that um, I couldn't really do that. And I think that's been the struggle for the last five years, the push and pull of trying to control. And um, that's how I see it. Um, Yeah. I mean, sure. I still have issues, but also like some of those, I would say most of those are, I am unlearning how to, I'm unlearning what I thought worked for me, which was being kind of a dick and um, trying to tell you what to do and realizing like, I can tell you what to do until I'm blue in the face. It's only going to affect our relationship um, negatively. But that also means like, you know, it just looks different. It's not like you're not going to look to me for advice anymore. And that kind of like makes me sad, but it just is because I I mean, that might, I I guess that's why I'm pushing for Al-Anon because although it's not, it's never going to look the same. Okay, this is trippy. We're really going to get into some deep stuff. I'm really going to get vulnerable right now. 
There yeah, was yeah. A, a guy in my meeting last night. He is new in recovery. Newcomers can teach you a lot. But that's just neither here nor there. He said, um, you know, I'm worried about my girlfriend. We're in a chapter right now called, I'm not going to say what it is because I don't, <laughs> I think everybody knows what fellowship I'm in. But anyway, <laughs> the chapter is basically like the foundation for Al-Anon and, um, which is Al-Anon is a support group for people who have dealt with uh, people who are suffering from alcoholism. Um, so he said, I'm worried that my girlfriend isn't uh, like our relationship is good whenever she's taking care of me. Cause she's taking care of me because I've been drinking for so long. That's all she's done is take care of me. And I thought that really hits me where I live in terms of like, I mean, I, I feel like we're better but we had to figure that out because you took care of me for so long. And then I came in like, I got this. That's not how it's not going to be that quick turnaround. And it's not, it's not going to be the same as it was before. And I think maybe we're both expecting that. I don't want to put words in your mouth and I didn't mean for this to be couples therapy, but here we are and you're welcome. Hey, this, this is a really, this is very valuable. I think, because I think these are some of the conversations that people don't think about happening. Um, and I think people do have the idea that there's some kind of light that switches on, you know, it's like, it's basically, it's like when people go on antidepressants, like you think like, oh, well then they're going to be fixed and I'll be fine. Right. And then everything's good. But right. all these conversations are very important. So yeah, go on. This, this is real yuck. This is, yeah, red, this is real yuck. yuck. <laughs> I, yeah, I think so. I guess you have a real hang up about not being a role model anymore. And that's just not true. Like Grace and I are always going to look up to you for stuff because you're usually the first to do things. That's been the structure of our household since we were little. But at the same time, there's a lot of times where I don't see you and I as like big and younger sister. I just see it, see us as like on the same level because I did take over the big sister role for a long time. So it's not that you're not a role model. It's just, I don't see you as older than me anymore. If that makes sense. Like, I feel like we're just like kind of on the same playing field with each other. It feels more like a twin thing than like a big. That does make sense. It does make sense. And the Dak Shepard in me wants to tell you why I don't believe in that. But that's my own personal journey that I need to, uh, (laughs) Sorry, I, I was just I was just showing a post-it that I have that says Dax Day 7, so we'll talk about that once Faith is finished. Yorks! Uh, <laughs> no, I just, I felt triggered, but I thought, you know what? No, you gotta take that, you gotta listen to that, you gotta deal with it, you gotta be okay, you gotta be okay. I'm that's, okay. That's the Jada Pinkett Smith in you, I think. I'm gonna write in my diary later, and then I'm gonna be like, <laughs> alright. Okay. You, you gotta go bake a feelings cake about it. That's fine. We can eat it later. I, yeah. I'm not, I'm not baking a cake. Come on now, please. Okay. I'm not gonna do all that. That's crazy. <laughs> Hope is the domestic one. She's like makes cake. She made a whole ass turkey dinner. I ate a bag of chips for lunch. That's what I did because it was already open. Okay, but I, I, I don't even have to open it. My one true love has always been food. So like that's why I wanted to be able to make the food that I want to eat, which is really yummy stuff. Yeah. So. But I was talking about I baking cereal. Your, <laughs> I was talking about baking your feelings cake, not an actual cake. Like yeah. you have to go ruminate about feelings before you can talk about them. Oh no, I it's it's not ready yet. I know I it's know. not ready yet, <laughs> and I know that it's my own internal fire of like, nope, nope, <laughs> no, oh, mm, that's wrong. Let me tell you why that's wrong because people don't want to hear that. 
as it turns out. And I found that out through a lot of trial and error. But if you come right out and say like, no, you're wrong. Cause I said, ain't going to work. It's not going to work. You got to have more data to back that bad boy up. I will take what you're, you're saying. You're making the um, you're making the feeling sauerkraut because it, <laughs> take, it takes a long time to make, and not everyone wants it. Well, it's like <laughs> emphasize on the sour. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so that's so I will take what you're saying. I will hear it, and then I will think about it. I wish people could see you're gesticulating with your nails right now. Yeah, yeah, I got a very Just loud nails. They, I got claws. Um, they are sparkly. They're they never match my outfit because I dress like a, a librarian. So <laughs> I like where our relationship is going, and I know part of why I like it is because you and I have to put so much work into it, and we have put so much work into it after you got sober. And I know it can be really challenging sometimes because. From when we were little, you and I had very different personalities. And that's kind of always been a clashing point where you want to tell me what to do. And I have never really done what you told me to do. Like even when we were little, mom would say you could hear you getting mad because I was playing the way I wanted to. And you wanted me to play the way you wanted to and all this other stuff. But that doesn't mean that I'm not like taking what you're saying into consideration. It just I... I don't have, I don't like to have my feelings in front of other people. And you, so I'm going to say something, but you sometimes can't have your feelings in front of other people. And I think a lot of confusion comes from, you don't see me having feelings about stuff. And so you think I'm not feeling them, but it's just because I don't want to have them in that moment when I'm talking to somebody. And you're like, can you please share your feelings? You just talked about, you just talked about putting your trauma away and never opening it back up again for 10 years. That's I, that is fueling, fueling my feeling of you. Cause you, you say, I'm going to think about it. I'm going to work on it, which means I don't want to talk about this anymore. And I, I'm not going to bring it back up again. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I, I need to work on how I don't work on stuff, but I don't want to work on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's hey hey that that's a really healthy sentence I think for someone who's going to school to be a therapist because it's you're learning about yourself you're figuring it out. No, I literally to work. have said to my therapist before I'm like I know you said I need to work on my patients but I just want to be patient right now and she was like Are you fucking serious Like did you just hear what you said <laughs> I was like Yes, but it is <laughs> being in school. And I'm reading a lot of Brene Brown right now has brought to light some of my own traits that I don't like being vulnerable and I'm not very good about showing up and being vulnerable, especially in our relationship. And I acknowledge that. And I am actually trying to work on it and I'm trying to figure out ways that I can do that better. I'm not there yet, but God, I'm now I'm sweaty. I'm like about to See? up right now. How does it feel? well here what why don't we why don't i move us along a little bit um because we yeah we definitely got into like you know just some little group therapy there but that that's fine that's part of of addiction because whenever faith got sober we watched my name is earl when we were growing up and she was like i have to do what earl did where i have to go and speak to everybody i've ever wronged in my whole life and and it it comes up because that was such an integral part of who she was and who I was as we were becoming adults. 
And yeah. it was part of us choosing to still have a relationship. Cause I could have very easily been like, I never want to speak to you again, but that was never going to happen. I could have, well, but I, I mean, that I wasn't the thought. It occurred to me that that was on the table. And I feel like there were times, I mean, we hope and I have been, so our worst fights have been whenever I've been sober. And I think it's some of this stuff coming back up again. And we're working out the, the damage that I did during that time and hopes working out now that she doesn't have to be this caretaker. But I think for a while you had the expectation on yourself. Like I need to continue to be this caretaker. Like even whenever I call you now, you're like, what's wrong? And I'm like, it's a Tuesday. It's noon. Nothing is happening. And you're like, like I'm, I'm on a walk living. with the dog. And I like got out of the shower to answer the phone. Like, what's wrong? What's going on? And you're like, are you naked right now? And I'm like, yes, I'm dripping wet. What's happening? <laughs> and you're like, I'm just on a walk. I'm just calling to check in. And you're like, I was just calling so, you to say hi. Yeah. Well, the thing about us having worse fights whenever you're sober is because there was a one-sided fight when you were not sober. So in that, if there was going to be a fight, you weren't going to be there for it. But there's some that this stuff, like there's some of this stuff that I, like I said, I don't think I'm the person that can help you through it. Like I go to therapy, I see a psychiatrist, I take my meds, I go to my program, all that kind of stuff. Like, I'm not saying that I'm perfect, but at a certain point, like I can't write, I can do my living amends. I can be here and be present and show up, but I feel like, like you're saying, you need that community of people there. I'm not it. I can't yeah. be that person. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people mistake amends sometimes for the, and I'm just speaking in the general community, but I think sometimes pe- people mistake the amends part of a 12 step program with that you have to make everything right, which would be infuriating for everyone because like the addicts can't make it all right. And the person who they're making the amends to can't necessarily say, Oh, okay, everything's fine now. You know, it it is something where everything keeps continuing. And so beyond the amends, that's why we have these resources for people who, you know, like Al-Anon or like a Naranon and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. I think Um, it's because we're talking about communication. Mm -hmm. I thought this is a good good time to bring this up. So I wrote down and I showed you guys this post it says uh, Dax day seven was the name of that podcast. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay, so uh, just for for all of our listeners, I'm sure we've probably mentioned Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard um, yes! and Mon- Monica Padman and Wabba Wab. Um, <laughs> of course, Dax is the main personality, but I want to give everyone a, a shout out. But um, but so he he did a really really impactful uh, podcast recently that I I would recommend anyone listening to this. Um, if you've gotten this far through this episode go listen to day seven (laughs) um, after you finish this because there's more to it, but, but go listen to it. And I think that's so important because it's not just talking about the, so, so I feel like the way that we approach it with any, the story of any addict is they had the time when they were the addict and then they got sober and that was it. Mm -hmm. And then they were sober forever. And those are the people that we want to talk about we don't necessarily want to talk about people who have relapses, but those are almost everyone in the community of addicts, because at some point you're going to make a decision to stop. And then, you know, like usually most addicts, even before they get to any kind of program have tried so many times uh, to stop. And that's kind of how they got there. So Mm -hmm. it's really important to understand that relapse is a part of recovery sometimes. Um, And, 
and that it still happens to people. Um, so, so in this, um, so Dax Shepard, um, his podcast is called Armchair Expert, and usually he's interviewing people. Um, but this particular uh, episode was just him and Monica, who is the co-host who she does maybe 25% of the hosting, I would say, you know, so she's kind of the quiet in the background, but they were talking about their relationship and how she brought up to him the fact that um, he was clearly had relapsed. Um, And they, they spoke about it in a way that I thought was really, it's, it's very fascinating to listen to because we don't get to hear as many of those conversations. People like to talk about addicts or addicts will tell their story. There's a lot less of the back and forth communication, which is why I, you know, like listening to you guys <laughs> talk about that. Um, but but I think it highlights uh, in many ways that uh, that the addiction isn't just about the person in it. It's also about everyone else and also that people don't necessarily know how to communicate those things. Mm-hmm. Even this this person who's really, really close to him didn't really know and was very unsure about how to do it. So I would say everyone go, go listen to that because I think it'll give you a really good understanding of what relapse can look like because it wasn't, it wasn't like, Oh, suddenly his life was destroyed. You know, it was a relapse that might've led to something. And since he had the tools now to deal with it, he had this community of people um, that didn't happen and it was just a small relapse. And that's such a success story. So I think I guess that, that's, that's my feeling about it. I thought it was really, really moving. I love it. Was. I, have, I, I have this like letter on my computer. I was like writing to them and I've been working on it. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm sure they got a lot of letters and maybe, maybe this can be my letter to them guys. That was really awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. I was yeah. crying buckets. I mean like yeah. full crying, like <laughs> whenever yeah. so Dax relapsed. And then a couple years ago, Demi Lovato relapsed. So she's about my age. And I think I found whenever like, celebrities that I identify with or that I really like or that Faith and I both like whenever they relapse sometimes I feel like I take it a lot harder than she does because I immediately call her I'm like are you okay like I think like relapse is contagious so I'm like "Uh, are you okay yeah do you need me come home like do I need to do anything and she's like no I'm good are you okay and I'm like yeah I'm fine I'm just checking you everything's fine every time (laughs) every single time it's and I say is this about you so we, we're going through I, here it, it like brings me right back to that feeling of like before faith got sober and I just like everything in me collapses and I'm like I have to go home right now and oh. but that's not what the case and then I talked to faith and she's like you know normal and like telling me I'm being a weirdo and you know I'm like okay we're we're in 2020 now and it, the year is bad, but faith is still sober. So I, I would call that a win. Yeah. The year is bad, but faith is still sober. Will you let me come back on here so that whenever I re-listen to this and I hear what a dick I'm being, that I can rectify that situation? Because I may need to do an apology tour. <laughs> <laughs> like showing it to my so, uh, a sponsor and therapist. Like, that that wasn't good. I did bad. Okay, I'll do it again. It's fine. Don't well, worry about it. I got it. Okay, here's back to couples therapy. Like, you and I have never really, like, censored ourselves or, like, been nice whenever we're talking to each other. Like, you and I have talked about how we're much more gentle, like, with our the men in our lives and, like, relationships that we have. Oh, they're very sensitive, so. <laughs> and that's okay. I like that they're sensitive, but that does require a fair amount of patience, of which we have little. Yes. And we are very intense women from a very intense uh, matriarchal family. Um, but the way that you and I talk to each other, like the other day, we you 
we literally had to be like, hey, we were a little harsh there. I'm sorry. And it was like, yeah, okay, whatever. And we literally, we'll be in the middle of a conversation all of a sudden. It's like, well, you say that to me all the time. And like, we're saying all this stuff. And I don't talk to anybody else that way. We barely talk to Grace that way, our younger sister. So like, I don't remember where I was going with this. <laughs> I was going somewhere. I, I'm not sure either. Yeah. Do you want to go on an apology tour with me? We'll do it together. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Have your um, hype man. <laughs> so uh, I I do have to move us on because the word about an hour and twenty minutes. Right yeah, now. my bad. Uh, no, a lot okay. of things to say. Um, no, no, absolutely. It's 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 great, and and always like and all of the we haven't done that many, but we've done several interviews, and the most interesting part is always the interview. Uh, so I want to make sure there's always time for that, but I also have some other research that I did about the. Uh, the way that we handle addiction in the U S versus other countries. So I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that. And then at the end, um, if we've got anything else we want to talk about, we can do that. Sure. All right. So I think that when everyone, whenever anyone thinks about addiction in the U S honestly, that we probably think of the resources being, uh, and, and I'll, I'll say names of 12 step programs now because people usually know them, but like they're, um, NAAA, um, and there's other sort of community-based groups, but usually they follow a 12-step program. Um, and that those a lot of the time are not uh, government-funded. Usually those are just community things, and it's people sponsoring each other and that kind of stuff. So it's not like, just if anyone was under any illusion, uh, like, you know, AA, isn't they're not funded by the government or anything like that. Uh, there are some government-funded programs in the U.S. We are significantly behind other countries in how we deal with it. Um, and I read a really cool article. Let me... Anyway, um, yeah, I read an article that sort of differentiated between war on drugs countries and harm reduction countries. And effectively, that just means it's a, it's a different way to treat people. And the U.S. is definitely a war on drugs country. And lo and behold, the countries that are doing the best are the harm reduction countries. Um, so what we have in the U.S. is we have uh, SAMHSA. There's a sub it's, it stands for Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Uh, it's a branch of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. And it is charged with improving the quality and availability of treatment and rehabilitative services in order to reduce illness, de death, disability, and the cost to society resulting from substance abuse and mental illness. Um, they, It's really hard to find what their specific programs are, so I'll have to do a little more digging and research into that. Uh, but they definitely, they do have some sort of outreach. It's definitely not as much as it should be, um, but it's there. Uh, I so earlier I texted uh, Hope something and I said that uh, oh I think Trump did a good thing actually for this which I was surprised at because I didn't think that uh, addiction would necessarily be something he would care about uh, especially because it's you know not affecting him or the people in his life that we know of um, but uh, what it ended up being and it's kind of a mixed bag it's not necessarily good um, is that so this woman uh, named Eleanor McCants Katz, um, she's a doctor, she has a PhD in epidemiology. Um, she became the Assistant Secretary of Mental Health and Substance Use Disorders, um, which is effectively overseeing SAMHSA. And she had worked with them previously and left in 2015 and criticized them 
Uh, and she wrote an article sa- that says the federal government ignores the treatment needs of America Americans with serious mental illnesses. Uh, and effectively what she is saying in that is, you know, you know, they'll treat the substance abuse, but not the mental illness. And it's a huge problem. And that's all true. And that's all fantastic. Um, there are other things she does that are not so great. Um, like she thinks that uh, we should be reopening things and that COVID, I guess, isn't happening, which is weird because of her degree. So I'll have to do more research in her. Uh, I didn't quite get to her until the like a little bit before this podcast. So So that's kind of an interesting thing. But that's some of what we have in the U.S. That's really the only governmental stuff. And they do work with communities, but I don't know exactly what that looks like. So I think in order to do any information on that, we'd probably have to talk to someone in one of those places because it's not very clear. Um, but the uh, yeah, the other addiction resources, as we've talked about, um, NAAA, um, there's definitely community and religious organizations out there as well that aren't necessarily those some of them are good, I'm sure. Some of them maybe not so good. That one might be something where you have to figure it out, <laughs> have to talk to people who've uh, experienced them. Um, there's a couple other differing approaches that I want to talk about a little bit. Uh, there's, there is one woman, Holly Whitaker, who started something called hip sobriety, which is like, it, to me it kind of looks like the, and this is mean, but the privileged white lady uh, (laughs) sort of way to, to look at addiction. And I don't think a lot of the things that she says are wrong necessarily, but I do think that like when I listen to her podcast, because she has a podcast on Stitcher. um, And when I read things, I, I think, okay, this is a very interesting perspective and I don't know if that's necessarily relatable to everyone, but, um, but she has kind of some differing approaches. So if anyone's interested in looking at something different than AA, you can look up hip sobriety. Um, I, I don't think they have any necessarily hugely problematic things about them um, that I've found. Um, a couple other things that are problematic though in the U S so, uh, so hope, and so this wasn't in the US, this was just a random TED talk, but Hope said something about, uh, there was a quote from, and I, and I looked it up, I do believe it's a quote from this TED talk by Johan Hari, where he says, everything you know about addiction is wrong. Um, and you were saying, like, I, I think the quote is, uh, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. Um, and that's what he says. And it's like, okay, that all sounds really good, but he doesn't have any training in the field. He's also not an addict. So he's a writer who's coming up and telling people, oh, I have a whole new way of looking at this. Um, so basically I think no one, no one should trust him. Um, so if you look at that Ted talk and that comes up, if you're looking at things on addiction, if anyone is listening to this podcast, because you're trying to find resources, um, I would definitely go more towards, um, one of the other things we've talked about than, than watching that Ted talk. Um, also, and I did want to say, since I referenced Naranon earlier, I want to make sure that uh, I say that Naranon and Narcanon are two different things. Um, Narcanon is a Scientology-based program that claims <laughs> that they uh, actually help people get clean and sober. And oh, sneaky fuck! Oh, Jesus oh boy! <laughs> um, so I, I, I would say just for information on that, it, it's definitely a, a Scientology thing. It's not. It's not. Um, it's not about the addicts. It's about Scientology. Um, and I would say definitely go listen to the Fair Game podcast because they have an interview with the uh, the former head of Narcanon. Um, so don't 
if you're looking for resources, don't go to Narconon because they'll make you be a Scientologist and they don't won't go solve to your problem. Scientology, period. Just yeah. the same um, way. <laughs> so I, just when I was looking at things, I saw some things pop up that I knew were problematic yeah, and sure. I wanted to make sure that everyone else knows too. So that's, <laughs> that's kind of why I'm like going through those. Uh, the other thing that I want to talk about for the U.S. is that, um, okay, uh, is that a lot of... A lot of people, and particularly, I think, people in our age group would have uh, had the D.A.R.E. curriculum. Yeah. Did you guys have that? Oh, yeah. I was yeah. a D.A.R.E. all-star. You can tell that really took. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because D.A.R.E. doesn't work. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Um, no, it sure doesn't. <laughs> was, so that's, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, D.A.R.E. really doesn't work. Uh, D.A.R.E. was actually invented by, uh, by police officers and it's administered by police officers for anyone who's overseas or didn't experience dare basically what it is is a, a police man or woman comes to talk to you about drugs and how they're horrible and they'll ruin your life um and they don't really talk about any ways people could get treatment or like Why how it can doing drugs yeah how mental illness can be a part all that kind of stuff they definitely demonize the drug and then they don't humanize the addict and i think that's a really bad thing about dare um also um and i did actually post this video online because i was just kind of checking out the site for dare and i was looking at their curriculum and i looked at their high school curriculum and i thought okay this looks mm, like less than like less than the amount of uh, information that high schoolers can actually take in. Like this looks like something they're not going to pay attention to at all. And so I, I, I put up uh, a little video on our Instagram of me looking for resources for alcoholics. It's just what I typed in there. Uh, no results. Absolutely no results on the wow. website. Because, oh, because it's completely impossible that there would be someone with a drinking problem who's under 18, who is taking right. part in these programs. But of right. course, we know that's not true. Right. Yeah. So, so just uh, honestly, yeah, everybody hashtag cancel dare because it's stupid. <laughs> and no, no, I, so I got really hot mad about dare um, <laughs> because so the outreach focuses, like, as I said, like, just on prevention, um, not like like getting kids to not do drugs, but not telling them what's going to happen if they do. So it's not really giving them uh, enough of an understanding of why these things happen to create the sort of compassion that you need to deal with people in your life having those issues or the self-compassion you might need if you have those issues later on. Yeah, and they don't give you any tools. And it costs between $175 and $270 per student. It's creating programs. a complex because like, I know like the first time that I dabbled in drugs, I was like, I'm a bad person. I don't like doing this. I don't know if I should be doing this. My parents would be so upset with me. And it was like, yeah, here's okay. Here's something that Dax always says. He says that people who can do drugs and can enjoy it and like, don't have the, you know, personality and chemical balances that people who are addicts do. He's like, please do drugs. I don't want everybody to stop doing drugs. That's fine. I just can't do them and myself. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think people need to understand the nuance and, and that some things are okay for some people and some things aren't, you know, like, like I'm talking to the two of you, you're related and one of you can drink without it being an issue and the other one can't. And that's just how it is. And like, and then I can contrast like myself and Faith. Um, I don't drink because it, because um, because I used to, but it doesn't mix well with my mental illness. Um and I decided to take it out of my toolbox because it was not a tool that was helping me. Well, not a tool uh, that was a turn but, <laughs> but, 
But as we talked about in the last podcast, marijuana, very much a tool that helps me. Um, I can use it medically in a way that actually helps and I get more creative and like can do more things and stuff, but it's not for everyone. So please, it is not if for me. Only me. big takeaway is that everyone is different. That's a great takeaway because you can realize that not everyone's having the same reaction to all that stuff. So I'm, I'm talking to the, the the listener, not you guys, obviously. But yeah, Rosie, oh, yeah. Rosie so, and I ate jelly edibles. <laughs> what were they? They're like Jello edible cubes. Jello. Yeah, and it was I, it was orange Jello. I made little gummies. You would have thought she had given me meth. I flip out. No one thinks you should do weed. You should not do well one marijuana your whole life because you're already kind of high. And every time you take smoke, whatever you have a, it's like the world is ending. I don't understand why you continue. That's what it felt like. I was like, Oh my God, I'm dying. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, and we, and we go into that more on our last episode on the CDC. So if anyone wants to hear how hope invented or not invented hope discovered gravity, gravity. you can go back to that. She may have invented it. Um, We don't know. I was like, there's uh, gravity so I do... on the second floor. Do you guys know about this? And she was Stop like, it. you need to go. Well, Real. the thing was, Rosie was, like, was yes, high too. So she was no help. And Griffin had to come and over. And I couldn't explain together. to her why it was so funny that she was acting this way. <laughs> I was like flipping out but... and like laugh crying. Rosie was just laugh crying at me. So we were both incapacitated. <laughs> um. Okay, uh, just just so I can get through all this stuff because I have some more notes written down, but uh, it's just one more page of notes. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about what other countries are doing. Um, I did a little bit of research on which countries seem to have a lot of success uh, with uh, fighting drug addiction. And I've noticed uh, the themes on them, of course, are it's like a holistic approach. It's a whole person, not just a part that you can switch on. So that's something that they know. Then also the focus isn't just on the prevention and the repression, which is, you know, police and like law and that kind of stuff, but it's also on harm reduction and treatment. Um, And I want to go to this site and just read a little bit. So it's the foundationswellness.net. And they talk a little bit about different countries and what they've done. Uh, So Portugal uh, decided that they, so after their 19, 1974 revolution, they had a lot of problems with heroin. Um, so they just decided that they were going to take a completely different approach to it. Um, they decided they de- were going to decriminalize all drugs and they would provide treatment for free. Um, so they could get free methadone counseling treatment, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and it worked really, really well. Um, like the Netherlands has some programs like that as well. Uh, the Switzerland's, um, sorry, Switzerland uh, came up with their four pillars law. Uh, and what I love about that is the first two pillars here are harm reduction and treatment, and then it's preve- prevention and uh, repression. So they're focusing again on the whole person. Um, yeah, Croatia is doing really well. Again, it's harm reduction, uh, the Czech Republic. I mean, there's so much. Yeah, so there's so many other countries that we've seen that can do a lot more because they've sort of let go of the idea that addicts are criminals, you know, and they've destigmatized a lot of it. And I think what the, the destigmatizing uh, looks like, like the evidence really points to that helping. 
Uh, and also, I will point to just the sort of random fact that uh, the countries that I looked into that had the best luck with this also have some kind of socialized medicine. So all things our country could do. Uh, but yeah, just definitely the the harm reduction is one of the huge things. Uh, and that's looking at the addict as a whole person and saying, we want to reduce the harm you're doing to yourself uh, and help you and reduce the harm you might be doing to society and give you tools to help. And we should really look at what those other countries are doing and just try that instead, because we've, we have an opioid ep epidemic. We have lots of people uh, in prison for drugs. And a lot of those people, most of those people are not dangerous dealers. Um, they're just people who need some help. And yes, our prisons do provide some help. Um, there are drug counselors in prisons and things like that. But our prison system is also very flawed, too. Um, and sort of following that line of logic, uh, I just want everyone listening to understand how connected all this stuff is. That's what I want to say. Dare sucks. Just to let everyone know, I do think that there should be a, a program <laughs> like DARE. Um, I just think they need to change. Oh, their new program is called Keeping It Real. It's Keeping with like the apostrophe. Yeah, they're really, really trying so hard to appeal to kids in a way that that kids hate. Uh, but but yeah, just I do think that a program like that should exist. I think they should kind of just destroy DARE and start um, start afresh rather than trying to change it um, because clearly it hasn't worked. So let's educate in a different way. But I do it's think almost, we should educate. Absolutely. It's almost like they should be involving like addicts and social workers and people who know how to talk about this kind of stuff. What? Just, really? just an idea. I don't know. Call me crazy. Like that, not having a cop who doesn't have any experience with that coming Dude, to talk to people and scare them. To, like, yeah. Round Who's people like, up I'm and be like, I'm in charge. You. Yeah. No, I don't <laughs> yeah. think so. Sit down. Yeah, I just and, I and honestly, like like this, really, like this topic ties in with a lot of other ones because so I wrote up the other day that I wanted to talk about what defund the police really means, you know, and of course a part of that would be putting more money into programs that help addicts, you know, like there's now yeah, there's so many things out there that we could do to help, and people are just sort of sticking with the status quo that's clearly not working. Anyway, um, so I'm just kind of babbling now. So, Hope, do you have anything more to add? Faith, do you have anything more? Uh, I'd like to do a plug <laughs> for Dicks for Good. What? So would I, as always. <laughs> uh, you guys are uh, day one stands of mm -hmm. Dicks for Good, to use the parlance of, you know, Gen Z up in here. But <laughs> uh, Dicks for Good is an account that I started in uh, June of this year. To date, we have raised uh, $400 Woo! for many various organizations. Yay! Yes, all based off of cartoon uh, dicks that I draw. I just got done uh, drawing one that has a sign that says, wear a, f wear a face condom, so that's good. <laughs> I'm spending my time wisely. My sisters are both in grad school. I'm drawing cartoon penises. Let's focus on what's important here. This is the um, plot twist of this episode. We yeah. brought on Mr. Jim Business. Uh -huh. That's also <laughs> Surprise. It's been revealed. Um, <laughs> so uh, we have uh, an ornament that's a dick in a box available for $5. Proceeds benefit Light of Life, which is a uh, shelter that helps men in particular that are uh, homeless and suffering from addiction in Pittsburgh. Um, and I just <laughs> did a flasher one. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's, it's a sticker that's a dick, but he's a flash. He's flashing like with a trench coat. <laughs> and that's going to be on a holographic sticker. So it's going to be rainbow. And that one's going to be available December 8th. And uh, charity TBD, but I'm thinking about going maybe Native American, um, yeah. like uh, recovery fund yeah kind of thing so i would like to plug for uh dax shepherd who is one of our favorite podcasters all around and uh dax uh and he dax also talks a lot about he talks about addiction a lot in the episodes that aren't even about that as well so it's just i think it's really great for for anyone who has um an addict in your life who maybe you want to connect with more. If you listen to a bunch of those podcasts, which are interviews with really interesting people, uh, you'll probably pick up a little bit of knowledge along the way too. Oh, he's uh, super so. arrogant though. Like just <laughs> full disclosure, he is working through his character defects as he's telling you why he's the best person. It's I two in the same. And also saying, Hey, I'm really arrogant, but I'm also the best person. That's right. So instantly. Dax is sober, and then his conversation with Rob Lowe, who's also sober, was one right. of my favorites. And then Rob Lowe has his own oh, podcast. Me too. Totally listen to that one, too. Um, but uh, Armchair Expert is the podcast that got me into podcasts to begin with. So shout out to Dax and Manica. All right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to them. Also, I'll shout out to Home Podcast because I've listened to a little bit of that. It's Again, it's a different approach. So if anyone's interested in that, um, you can go ahead. I'm sorry, I called you privileged white ladies, but you know you kind of are. Um, but that's okay. There's still stuff there. Uh, so I'll shout out to them. That's on Stitcher. Uh, I also want to shout out to. Um, I, I know that everyone else can't see what I'm holding, but you guys can. Um, so I've actually been drinking a, a non-alcoholic beer that's really, really delicious. Um, unlike most non-alcoholic beer, um, it is from Al- uh, Athletic Brewing Company, and they do a lot of really, really good beers and they're all non-alcoholic and uh, you get free shipping on two six packs and we are not sponsored by them, but I would love to be. So that and Co-Star. anyway, thought I'd put that out there because, you know, I, I love beer and I still drink it. I just don't drink the alcohol part anymore. <laughs> so I just, I want to thank Faith for coming on and I wanted to let you know that I know it was a really shit journey for us to get here, but I wouldn't, trade it i mean i would trade it if it meant that you weren't you know not yourself for a few years but i don't think we would have we wouldn't have the same relationship and i really like where you and i are going as we keep becoming more adult adults and i am grateful all the time that you are still here and i'm gonna go throw up goodbye (laughs) well thank you guys for having me here and i will say that that kind of I really, really enjoyed listening to the two of you. And I think that's a really unique perspective. And it actually, going back to Armchair Expert, because we all love it, um, it reminds me of the way that Kristen Bell talks about that kind of stuff, because she's not in uh, she's not in recovery, but she talks about using those tools. And I think that both of you guys now are able to like kind of use the tools that uh, recovery teaches in order to kind of help your relationship as well. So yeah, it's, yeah. Be- it's all in, really, really good. Being in an addict's life means you also get recovery tools. Like face in recovery, but I think we're learning. And they're I great. My own time they're of just recovery. 
Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's tools to help you figure out how to move forward with your life in a healthy way. And they're all good. And you don't have to be an addict to actually get some benefit from those. So, um, so even if you aren't, you know, look more into it because a lot of, yeah, a lot of this stuff is about sort of psychology and understanding yourself and being honest with yourself and that kind of stuff. So and yeah, I think that about wraps it up. And showing Sorry. up for yourself, which is really important. Absolutely. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. So thank you. Uh, thank you to uh, Faith for coming on. I know this, like, it's not necessarily super fun or easy, but like, it's a really valuable perspective and, and hope it was really cool to hear you guys sharing about that. Um <laughs> And I, I'm going to change my sign off just for this one because we've been talking a lot about the humanity of addicts. So I'm going to say I'm Rosie and addicts matter. There you go. I'm hope <laughs> and love an addict. Because <laughs> I do. Am I supposed to do one? You can. What do you want to say? I'm Faith. I'm, not, I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>